Bald Men on Campus with Jay Billis, LaFonso Ellis, and Seth Greenberg. Welcome to Bald Men on Campus. I'm Seth Greenberg with Jay Billis. We'll be having LaFonso Ellis back shortly, but he's busy coaching up the TBT. Now, I have to admit that, uh, Jay, the TBT has been absolutely incredible, but my man LaFonso got thrown out of a game. He didn't give anyone a hug. He gave him a shove. What is your take on that? I loved it. I think LaFonso <laughs> stepping away from his nicest guy in the world thing and showing cutthroat competitor was actually kind of cool. So, uh, and of course he'll he'll uh, explain it away with faith and love and uh, deep feelings. But uh, but that was that was awesome. I loved him. I tell you, his team is in the. Uh... In, in the regional finals, I mean, or, or in the championship rounds now. And he's got a really good team. He's done a really good job. TBT's been a blast to me. Like, I love the alumni teams. I, like, there's two fastest, actually three fastest teams in the TBT. There's a team that is just trying to put to, be put together to win the money uh, and have sponsorship like the Gutter Cat Gang, my, my group personally that I've adopted. Uh, then you've got, uh, you know, you've got the teams that, uh, have a cause, which is really amazing. Cause I mean, they're there to rep- represent something much bigger than themselves. And they do a great job of explaining and raising money and raising awareness, whether it's uh, sideline cancer, whether it's, you know, uh, America for autism, whether it's, uh, mental toughness. I mean, there are so many different causes that, uh, these players have adopted. Maybe they've been impacted in their own lives. Uh, and they have a connection with. And then there are the alumni teams. And the alumni teams, these guys come back and just watching the alumni teams. Number one, they're the best coach teams in a lot of ways because, the, you know, it, because they're, they're still running their, their old university stuff in a lot of ways. But guys actually ex- embrace and accept roles. Like guys now that have played overseas for five and six years and come back, uh, they understand like what they have to do to win. So a guy that thought he needed to be a three-point shooter, but was really a defender and a guy that, you know, maybe a screen setter or a guy that scored off a transition or drives, he's not taking threes anymore. He's doing exactly what he has to do. But to see the joy of these guys playing together and the excitement of putting on a uniform and, and playing in front of home crowds and, and enjoying that experience and the camaraderie that those teams have, it is so cool to watch. Uh, you know, uh, it, it really is as pure, like I had a great experience at that place. I love these guys I played with. I want to do it one more time. I want to play in front of these fans. I don't care. I'm going to give up a couple of weeks of my summer. Yeah. A million dollars is one thing, but it really isn't. They're playing to win and show they're good players, but they're also playing because you could see the fun they're having. Like when you're sitting around before games or you go to a practice and you're sitting around and listening to these guys talk to each other and tell stories. I mean, it, it's, it, it really is, is great. I had a, a chance, uh, Jarrell Eddy played for this gutter cat team, and I had a chance to spend three days with him, uh, you know, who I coached at, at Virginia Tech. And, I mean, just seeing these guys grow, and, you know, a lot of the guys that we saw, you know, when you were doing Nike Academy or, or I, you know, I was involved with, with, with coaching, and then you see them as players in college and you see them now. It, it's really a, a cool, cool concept, and, and it's really fun to watch. Have you, have you watched any of it? I have watched it, yeah, and it, I, I agree with all that. Um, but it kind of strikes me that that's most of, most of competition that we see at every level. And somehow, you know, in this uh, realm we're in now, 
And look, I get it. There, there's a lot of complaining about the way things are, or, and people think it should be a different way. And I get that. I, I'm cool with it. But somehow in some of these narratives, it, it's painted as, you know, we talk about the transfer portal. Well, players don't want to go to, through adversity anymore. And the first sign of adversity, they're out. Well, I don't think that's true of the majority of players. It might be true in specific instances. But most players, uh, in my experience, um, play for the right reasons and they do their best and they love their teammates and they want to, you know, they, they, you know, not everybody wants to accept a role, but they do it. And, uh, uh, so I don't, I don't think, and, and sort of your point about, you know, they're not as focused on the million dollars, you know, these guys in the TBT, there's money out there and yet they play the right way. They, they enjoy being around each other. They compete and all that. These things aren't mutually exclusive. And we seem to, I don't know why we do this in the college space, but uh, it seems like we're starting to get over it a little bit and starting to move on a bit. Uh, I don't know if you saw this, but you know, some of the big 10 coaches like Jim Harbaugh, you know, they're talking about, well, the players need more of a share of the revenue. And, uh, and that's the first time I've heard coaches say that publicly. Uh, so we seem to be moving toward accepting um, that things are appropriately different. And let's find, even though Harbaugh said the, the Big Ten needs to pay them, you know, because they're the ones using their name, image, and likeness and stuff like that. And I was going, the NFL doesn't pay NFL players. The individual teams do it. It's all under an umbrella and a structure of the NFL. But, you know, let's get serious here. Like the, the, the Big Ten doesn't pay the coaches uh, and they don't pay the administrators. That doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. But but I agree with you. I think all these forms of competition, TBT included, because it's right in front of us, um, I can't get enough of. I, I love it. Yeah, it really is. And I thought the games, games last night were really well, well, well coached, well executed. I mean, that aftershock Scuttercat game, listen, both teams shot well over 50% from the three for the game. For the game. Defense. And, these guys don't and, play defense. And, and they beat the crap out of each other, too. <laughs> I mean, it, it, the games were physical, but it was just, I mean, like to watch Marcus McDuffie, Rashad Kelly, and, and, and those guys just uh, play so stinking hard and see the atmosphere. So that, it got me thinking, you know, John Calipari has talked about this all the time, that we need to do something in the summer and make our sport a 12-month sport. And it, it got me thinking, and uh, I actually talked to him yesterday a little bit about this. We should have, in college basketball, Obviously, you're allowed to make an international trip. You're going to make a trip with the Auburn team. Uh, I think Kentucky's going to the Bahamar and the, and the Bahamas. There's a lot of teams that are going overseas. I think Alabama's going to Spain, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Uh, so you've got all these great trips, and, and you can play competition overseas, and that's fine. You can do it once every four years. So it got me thinking, uh, and, and then talking with John, why can, first of all, why, why if you can play games overseas – against international competition, why wouldn't we be able to play games in the States? And why, why wouldn't we do it every year? And why wouldn't we create a week or so or a two-week period where we call a college basketball summer jamboree? And you can get groups of four teams. You can do conference versus conference, like I think the SEC and the ACC could do it fairly close to each other. You can pick two sites. You can have a site in Charlotte, a site in Alabama. Or you could do I mean, Atlanta, or you could do it on campuses. Or you could get just, you know, four teams together, have an outside group basically promote it. So you get these four teams, have an outside group promote it. You play two games, just two games over that weekend. All right. 
You can put them on the SEC network, the ACC network, the Big Ten network, the Big 12 network. You can put up, you, you can, you can televise these games. You, you could play in regions where you could raise money. You have an outside promoter run it because now they can tie into national sponsors where the players can get some kickback on NIL money in a real way where they could do some promotions and things to promote the tournament or, 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 or the jamboree or whatever you want to call it uh, and, and receive money back. Uh, if you played them in the right arenas and in, 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 in the right destinations, they would sell out. If you're getting 6,000 people to watch in the roundhouse to watch Wichita State alumni team play, if you play four teams in a region, two games over a, say, Thursday and Saturday, one game Thursday, one day Saturday. Now, you get eight weeks to practice in the summer. So my idea would be is that basically the reward at the end of the eight weeks you play in this, in this college basketball summer jamboree. It's a two-week period where, you know, you can fit the game. You know, you can play two games in one weekend somewhere. Or, or you make it the eighth week. So you're not, you're not asking for any more of the players' times. They have seven, seven weeks of, of four hours on a court. Well, you know what? The eighth week, and, 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 you know, each game counts as two hours in terms of uh, time when you're in season. So you have two games. You find a destination, four teams, two games, doubleheader, Put it, you can put it on, on regional networks. You can sell tickets. You can have an outside promoter. Players can make some money. And we become a 12-month sport. What would be wrong with that? Nothing. And in all of those ideas I heard from you, Seth, and, and that you've been discussing with others, what I heard was deregulate. And, you know, right now, and it's been this way forever, um, essentially under the NCAA umbrella. You cannot do anything unless the NCAA says you can do it. I think that needs to be flipped. It needs to be, you can do anything you want unless it's specifically prohibited for you to do. Uh, because all the things you mentioned, if they're not done by the schools, they're at some point going to be done by the players. So w- with what you just laid out, What's to stop the players, and because of, of where we were, you know, where you and I have been, what's to stop the players at Virginia Tech from naming themselves the Blacksburg Birds and the players from Duke naming themselves the Durham Devils and that, the players setting up that kind of thing and negotiating with a, an outside partner and setting that up? It wouldn't be under the university umbrella, but right now with name, image, and likeness, they could do that. And they're going to at some point, like all these revenue streams are going to be captured by somebody, including the players. And so what I'm hearing is let's deregulate and let's start letting everybody do what they want to do. And if a school, an individual market competitor, which all these schools are, if, if Duke wants their players to go home during the summer and be off and do internships and get jobs, then do it. If they want them on campus going to summer school and working out together, then do that. If they want, if the ACC uh, wants to form a summer league, go ahead. Um, all that really matters under the NCAA umbrella should be the competition that we have during the season. Everything else, the individual schools should decide for themselves in the conferences. So what I heard you say is deregulate and do what you want to do. And now if that raises issues, 
uh, with, uh, with protecting the players' bodies and all those things, then work those things out and decide, okay, that's too much. You know, we can have reasonable regulate. Like, it's funny how, how nobody talks about guardrails there. You know, let's start having some guardrails there. Um, you know, because right now there, there aren't as many as, as some people think there should be. I think there should be fewer and everybody should do essentially what they want to do. And we should stop talking about all this, uh, you know, this idea of quote unquote fairness, that it's not fair for the little guy versus the big guy. Like all these, all these schools have different resources. And, and if you look games at one o'clock on Saturday, you want to play, play. If you don't think it's fair, if you don't have enough resources, then don't play. I mean, I think it really is that simple. Uh, you know, if East Carolina wants to play against North Carolina Saturday, if you step out of bounds, I get the ball. If, uh, if you foul me shooting a two, I get two free throws, all that stuff. Those are the rules that matter. The other stuff, we can't do anything. We really can't do anything about. And, and so, you know, let, let, let's admit what we are and just play and, and move on. Yeah, I, I just think it's common sense. I, you know, again, I, I've actually started to communicate with some commissioners and some different people uh, in, in concept. You know, right now, someone would have to go to, uh, you know, to the NCAA and get a sanction. And, uh, and like, to me, it doesn't make any sense because it is as simple as saying you're, you're practicing for eight weeks. Like every sport, in, in, almost every sport is a two-semester or two-season sport. Women's softball is a two-season sport. They have they have they have a fall season. They have a, a, a have a spring season. Football is a two-season sport. You might not play games, but you do play a spring game, and there's a spring season and a fall season. Uh, baseball, spring season, fall season, where they actually do play competition. So why wouldn't we want to try try to figure out a way? If we want to grow our game. We've got to figure out a way to create a conversation 12 months a year for, the, for our game. That's number one. Number two is the players are, are going to summer school, and, and coaches have been really smart. I mean, they're going to summer school to get ahead for the people that are really focused on, on graduation. They're also having a chance to practice, you know, for eight weeks, uh, four hours on the court, four hours in conditioning, strength and conditioning. And, I, you know, the coaches I'm speaking to, like I was, I was in Omaha, so I watched, I watched Creighton work out. And, uh, you know, Coach McDermott said that was the first practice that he ran. Most of most of practice is being run by assistant coaches. A lot of this stuff would be, uh, you know, an hour a day, four days a week. The kids will come and do shooting on their own because they like to get shots up. They they have their practice facility, but it, they're not pounding and pounding. You know, for the new guys, you know, terminology. You know, giving them an understanding, confidence, and defensive concepts. Give them an understanding of the type of drills they're doing. You know, they're making it fun and a lot of a lot of ODOs and a lot of, you know, five-minute games and a lot of, you know, keeping it in perspective because you don't want to wear guys out. But it's still eight weeks. So why wouldn't you have something at the end of those eight weeks or, you know, maybe in the middle of the eight weeks where the kids, you know, they, they can compete. And like, you know, like you just said, I mean, whether it's staying within your conference and having jamborees over over weekend and, or just creating games or or creating, you know, Regional games, I just think that it's common sense. And like you say, deregulate, I guess that, that's a way to put it. I just think that if we can do it overseas and we have approval to do it, why, why is it why is there? So overseas would cost money to make international trips, like trip you're going on. I'm sure it's, it's a legitimate uh, expense for, 
offer to travel to Israel with their travel party, play these games, you know, do all the things you have to do, but it's also a cultural and, and, and uh, experience as well. But the years you're not doing that, why wouldn't you be able to just in your own backyard within a, a certain region uh, be able to play a couple of games, race might make, give a little bit of money to charity, players make a little money on NIL. It's kind of a, a payoff. I, I, I'd like to get involved in promoting the damn thing. I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, like, like I think the players would love it. Absolutely love it. And I think you're, you're right. I said, well, I don't know what would stop the players from doing it on their own, like the old Barnstormer games. Yeah, that's exactly I mean, what I was thinking of. And for, for people who don't know what those Barnstorming games is you're talking about, um, I played in them uh, 35 years ago, whatever it is. Um, after the season ended of my senior year, all the ACC players traveled around uh, North Carolina, Maryland, South Carolina, you name it. And we played in high school gyms and small college gyms where a lot of people who didn't have the chance to get tickets to a North Carolina game or Duke game, they could come to these games and watch, you know, the ACC players play autograph signings, pictures, all those things. It was a great experience. We pocketed a fair amount of money as players. The promoter obviously did well, the promoters, Neil McGahey did it. Uh, yeah. He had a, a terrific tour. Um, but it was, it was, uh, it, it's easy for the players to set up and some of them are doing it now. Uh, but it, it's not hard to imagine, uh, like we said before, players getting together and doing this type of thing that you're talking about on their own without the school's involvement. And why not? Like why, as you say, you know, with some of the examples you gave, just, just for example, exhibition games before the season. You know, what do you hear from players and coaches most often as we get toward the season? They say, we got to play against somebody else. We're tired against playing against each other. You know, guys are beating each other up and it's, it's getting old. We got we to gotta get a game. We got to get to the games. And, uh, and, you know, why is there a limit on scrimmages? Like, why can't, if, if, if you're Duke, why can't you scrimmage one day against North Carolina Central or get Carolina to come in and you have a closed-door scrimmage? Why are those limited? Um, I, look, I get it that you don't want to beat the players up, but they're beating themselves up anyway in practice. What's the difference? So my thing is let everybody do what they want to do. If there are limits to things, let's put in reasonable limits. That's fine. But limits should not mean prohibitions. Yeah, I, you know, the, the scrimmage thing is a perfect example. Now they're secret scrimmages. You, get like, you can't talk about them. Like they weren't even played. I remember in high school, my high school coach, Erwin uh, Sturgis, a really smart guy we practiced 10 days because we had, we had preseason. We had, we had workouts, open gym or whatever. We practiced 10 days and we, every other day we scrimmaged someone. So before, before our season started, I think we, I think we had three weeks or four, maybe it was two. Yeah, I think it was three weeks before we practiced 10 days. We had two straight weeks of, you know, we would do three team scrimmages. We'd go to Lutheran, we'd go there, we'd go there. And like, it kept our attention. And it gave us, you know, to figure out what our weaknesses were. Chris, let's face it. I mean, and again, it's different high school, college. Our second team was, you know, I had Mark Iveroni. You, you played against yeah. him, you know, in college. I mean, I mean, we, we had a really good team. Our second team, you know, there was no one to match up with the being. I mean, it, you know, it just wasn't a good matchup. So, I mean, I, I just think that we've got, we've got to find a way to be more proactive in our sport uh, like the whole idea of hiding uh, the scrimmages, like we you know, it's a secret scrimmage. Why wouldn't you use those things to promote 
our game and promote our sport, just like the summer, promote our sport, promote the players. I mean, like the whole idea of my, my, my big picture of my summer jamboree is like you go on this weekend, right? The players run a clinic. They run one clinic for money. They do an autograph signing. They do a picture. Signing, and then they do a clinic in an inner city. Give back a little bit. All right, a free clinic that's sponsored by some corporation. I mean, there's so many good things that can happen out of this thing that, you know, you sit here and you scratch your head and say, wait a second, one weekend, you take four teams, they go in, into a community and they do a free clinic. They do a clinic, another clinic over here. They do an autograph signing. They do an appearance. They play games. They promote the sport. They promote themselves. They, they, it's good for the school. Now, I have to admit, some some administrators I've talked to said, well, it's too close to football. It's too confusing. We don't want to. Come on, man. I mean, like, I think people can compartmentalize. Uh, you know, the football season starts in a month and the basketball season's just doing something like, and there's, there's two weeks you could do it. All-Star weekend after the All-Star game, baseball All-Star game, there's like a three or four day period where there's no sport except for, for, go- for golf. Like there's a literally a void. That could be a time, but I always thought the first weekend in August, the jamboree, because after that, that's about the time that guys are getting ready to go on their trips. After that, guys are going get, to get a chance to go home before they come back to campus. It just, I don't know, it, it's a common sense. And, and you know, I'm, I'm going to try to push even our people to get behind it. Yeah, I agree. But, but the administrator you talk to, so that's a great, I think, a great example. So, well, it's too close to this or it's too confusing to this. Then don't do it. <clears throat> you, don't, you don't have to do it. But the fact that it's prohibited for everybody, it's not too close to football for Gonzaga or for Villanova or all these different places. So, okay, if it's too close to football for you, then you don't do it. But that doesn't mean everybody shouldn't be able to do it. And that's, that's pretty much, uh, you know, sort of the NCAA uh, rule structure in a nutshell that, uh, that, well, you know, if everybody can't do it, then nobody can. And uh, well, spring football is problem. really close to the NCAA tournament. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> exactly. There, there's an excuse. There's an excuse for everything. That is my idea. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm going to try to see if I can, you know, work with some people and try to, you know, like get some steam. I've, I've communicated, like I said, with a couple of commissioners, and I, I just think it would be. It, it takes, you know, like I say, if it's not deregulated, it, ta- it takes one conference commissioner, or or one, you know, like I know John. Look, this is in essence, John Calipari came up with this idea years and years and years ago, and I, I just think it's time to really push it. It takes one to say, you know what, I'm going to, worst comes to worst, we're going to go to get legislation. To That's the, exactly right. The, like, Seth, your point about it takes one. So, and John Calipari. So remember, and you and I were there. Remember when John Calipari did his first pro day? Yeah. So he does a pro day for, for that, you know, amazing group of players he had with, you know, Devin Booker, Carl Anthony Towns, that whole crew does pro day. And had just about he had every NBA team there, every, every NBA team, and it it was awesome. And then everybody started doing it. And and if one like that's a great point. If one conference says we're having a summer league, we're doing this, then we'll see the floodgates open, and everybody's going to decide to do it because they're going to want to compete and and keep up with the Joneses and all that. It's a that that's the that's the perfect solution. You're right. Yeah. So. Well, that's it. I mean, that's all I had today, except, uh, you know, I mean, have a great trip. 
Uh, when, do you, when do you leave? I leave for Israel on Saturday, July 30th, and we'll be there for 10 days or so. And I just got back. Uh, my wife and I were in California in, uh, in Newport Beach and Los Angeles for about three weeks. We go out there every summer in July to get out of the East Coast heat. And, uh, and we had a blast. I mean, it was so, um, you know, when it's 70 degrees by the water every day in Southern California. It's the best. So we, we, you could barely break a sweat. I mean, I, I didn't play golf very much, but the three times I played, um, you know, I carried my bag and, and, uh, I didn't break a sweat. I mean, it was awesome. I played golf with my high school buddies and, uh, really had a great time. I don't think, uh, one, we had, we had one issue. Um, my wife did not fire up the, uh, the stove or oven in, uh, in the house we were staying in for three straight weeks. We ate out every meal and, uh, and you know, I, I don't even think that thing's real. I think they just put it in there. I don't even think it works. And we didn't try it. So we have no idea. I, I, we're about to do that in the middle of September. Now here's the question. The golf, we, we, uh, two weeks I'm going to play with, uh, four of my high school buddies, actually one of them is a member of Hudson national. So they're going to let me on, let me scrape it around, which will be a lot of fun. Uh, what happened in that golf outing? I mean, cause I know there had to be a lot of smack talk. I mean, it, it, there had to be a lot of, you know, arguing the first team in terms of handicaps. Uh, I mean, were there any good stories? I mean, the old, yeah. before you would have illustrated, I mean, before you were illustrating, you, you were just a slap blank running around, you know, you know, on the high hills of rolling hills. I mean, like, I mean, a Paul Birdie. I mean, like, what, like, what, who got killed the most? Were you the, were you the target of most of the abuse? Yes, I was the punching bag. And, uh, and the, first of all, I kicked their ass in golf. That was an easy, those are easy pickings. But the, the funny part, and, and I think at our age, um, it becomes even more poignant. Um, you know, we had a, and at our age, this is happening more sadly happening more often. So we, we had a, the guys I played with were uh, baseball teammates of mine, high school baseball. And, and so we, uh, you know, we had a great time and on the range before we played, uh, you know, we found out that one of our teammates had passed away. And so it was, I, I didn't know that when I got there. So there was, a obviously a, a, a sadness, um, in, in hearing that. And after about 10 minutes of, of talking about it and sort of this, this dour, sad moment, um, we started telling stories about him from high school and we were on our knees on the range laughing. And, uh, and that was most of the round, like bringing up stuff that happened in high school and, you know, times we screwed up and, you know, remember when we were together doing this, we would have been arrested today for the stuff we did. Um, it, it was just so much fun. Like it was a, it was a real memory lane thing, but it was so cool to, to be with guys that you grew up with and then to see, and the other thing, Seth, and, and I know this happens to you a lot in, in Jersey and New York and all that, you know, your old stopping grounds, how different Southern California is now than when I grew up there. Yeah. And so, you know, my wife got tired of me pointing things out saying, well, this is the way it used to be. And, you know, she's like, really? I mean, do we do we have to spend all our time in the 70s and 80s in Southern California? But it, it was, that was, a, to me, you know, aside from the weather, uh, the, the best part of it was uh, was, you know, reconnecting with uh, with some of my good friends that that I'd grown up with. Yeah, that, there's, and yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. We're gonna have, we're gonna have a good time, and uh, yeah, it is funny. I went back, I went back a couple of years ago to my old house, knocked on the front door in in New York, and first of all, I mean, I you know, 
I thought it was a, a palatial estate. You know, it was like like this little mini mini plot with you know three bedrooms stuffed into this like like you know seventeen hundred square feet. And but my basket on the side of the house was still up, and uh, and it, it it was so funny. And I could say, you, you might know me. He goes, "You're Seth Green. What are you doing here?" I said. It's my house. <laughs> You're living in my house. I said, that basket over there, thank you for keeping it up. My mom used to get out upstairs and shoot baskets out of the upstairs window. Uh, and I sat, we sat with them for 45 minutes telling stories about it. I said, yeah, the spinner used to live over here. And like, you know, and Paige was with me at that time, like, because uh, we were in for some, some event. And like, we got back into the car and only as Paige, my snarkiest daughter, like goes, Really? 45 minutes? You had to tell them everything about that ever, 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 that ever happened in your, in your house? Really? It could have been, hi, it's nice to meet you. I just want to let you know we used to live here. It's good. You know, good. No, but you had to go and, and literally become best friends with the people that live in there. It was just, she just killed me. But it was fun. That kind of stuff is fun now. Well, before we go, let me, let me, ask, you, let me ask you a question uh, back in the sort of NCAA realm for a second. Have you heard about this linebacker from Rutgers named Drew Rutgers. Singleton? Yeah, it makes you know, no it's, sense. It's, yeah, it's really interesting. So a linebacker from Rutgers, Drew Singleton, um, last year Rutgers ends their season, and then because of a team dropping out of a bowl game, with seven days' notice, Rutgers accepts this bowl game. So Singleton had, had uh, decided to go pro and signed the agent but is allowed to come back and play in that bowl game. And in an age where so many players are opting out of bowl games, you know, a pretty extraordinary thing that he decides yeah. to play in this bowl game. He wound up getting injured in the game to add another, you know, sort of layer to this. But uh, I, I believe when undrafted and he wants to come back, finish his masters and play at Rutgers and he's being denied the ability to do that. It's headed toward the appeal process now. And, and my, my thought about it, look, reasonable minds can differ. I'm a rules guy, I, you know, rules. But dumb rules are dumb rules. And when we have dumb rules, we need to, we need to act. This is a win-win for college sports. To have a player that, that has not accepted a penny as a professional. You know, this is not Derrick Henry deciding he wants to come back after seven years in the NFL and play at Alabama. Like, we're not talking about something like this. There's a guy who is just there and decides he wants to come back. I don't see a difference between pulling out a week before the draft or a week after. Uh, I don't see that difference. Other people might. But I, just, I, 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 think, I think this should be allowed, and we should celebrate this, that this is a win for college sports, that we've got a young man that wants to be in school. He's going to come back, get his master's. Um, you know, all this student athlete welfare stuff that we can trumpet. Uh, what, what's your thought on, on Drew Singleton and Rutgers and, and the NCAA and his situation? Well, a couple of things. Uh, one big picture, I think that any player that uh, puts his name in draft doesn't get drafted should be able to come back to school because the players can have agents now anyway. All right. There, you know, because of NIL, they can have agents anyway. Uh, they have advisors you know, when they're deciding to go into the draft. That's legal right now as well. So, I mean, like, to me, this is a head scratcher. I think that any time a player that does not get drafted wants to come back or maybe even, you know, I, I haven't gotten to the point where he gets drafted. And, and then, by the way, single, he also paid back the agent, the money that they invested in him to prepare, help prepare him for, for, for the draft. So he paid all that back in full. 
Uh, I think it's a no-brainer. And I, I would be shocked if they don't win the appeal. But I, I would, what I would like to see happen is because we allow the players to go through the draft process. If a player goes through a draft process, he's going to have an agent, he's going to have an advisor, NIL. Uh, they all have agents now anyway. I mean, in, in college recruiting, coaches aren't speaking to parents anymore. They're speaking to agents. 100% they're speaking to agents. I spoke to 10 guys last week. They're all saying, this, Seth, this stuff's crazy. You said you spend a couple of minutes with the parents and they tell you to go speak to the agent. To want to know what the, you know, what, what, what the potential and ideal opportunities are within, within the school, what the collectives are, what, what are your players? I mean, so, so to me, this is a no-brainer. If you don't get drafted, you should be able to come back. No questions asked. You already have an eight. You already have someone working on your end. This, this situation is, is that on steroids. I mean, like the whole idea, and I've always said, we have to once again put a value in graduation, and we've got to put a value in education. This would be a, a really easy way to say, you know what, we're going to bring education back to this process. And, and make sure that we, we put our guys in position to who've been at our institution to have the best opportunity 40 years from now to be successful, be part of something, not, not take it away from them, but put arms around them when, you know, quite honestly, things don't work out. So I'm 100% in agreement with you. I will be shocked that he does not win the appeal. Uh, it doesn't make any sense, especially with the new rules and legislation and the new culture of athletic, college athletics where all these players already have agents. Yeah, I, I agree, and and I hope you're right that 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 he'll win the appeal. I'm not as uh, sanguine about it. I, I I think there's a very good chance he doesn't, given the way the NCAA operates in this space. But you know, I, I, when I think about the Drew Singleton case, and I hope if anybody at the NCAA listens to this, please make him eligible and let him play. I mean, it is so ridiculous not to. There's no upside. It's not like there's going to be a flood of NFL players that decide to come back to college as a result of this. Um, I, I, I always think back to a discussion I had with Miles Brand uh, over a drink in Chicago years ago when Matt Leiner, who was, was slated to be a top draft pick uh, out of USC after I believe it was his junior year, decided, and he had graduated, decided to come back and play another year uh, for the Trojans. And uh, President Brand, he was president of the NCAA at that time, was, was unhappy with the slate of classes that he was taking as a graduate student that felt, well, now he's just a football player. And, and I was like, Miles, he graduated. Like, he graduated. And USC is offering these classes. Now, if you're upset with what they're offering, you can't be upset at what a, what, what a student decides to take if it's being offered. Um, I, I just thought, you know, we're missing the overall point here. And that is, it is good for college. It is good for college sports. It's good for the student. It's good for everybody to have these players stay in school longer. Why are we putting up barriers and, and saying, talk to the hand when something like this happens? And look, I get it. The structure sucks. You know, you have to go through this committee and talk to this person and do this and do that. It's a, you know, it's worse than the DMV uh, to to be able to get something done. Actually, the DMV is a lot more streamlined than the NCAA. But I, I, I hope, I hope you are right, and I hope this appeal gets granted and Drew Singleton's on the field because there is no downside to him playing, absolutely zero. And the only person that yeah. can complain is the linebacker behind him that might not play as much if he's allowed to play. And, and that's not a good enough reason to, to deny this. 
I totally agree. No, 100% totally agree. I'm, I'm obviously, but we're all going to be watching this carefully. And I tell you, one last thing I'm going to finish with, the other thing we're going to be watching carefully, because you know, I want to end on a high, fun note, is that uh, throughout the season next year, I just want to let LaFonso Ellis know in advance, we are clipping that off. And any time that we have a disagreement, we are going to basically show that that little clip of him and his competitive spirit saying, all right, Fonz, I understand. And no hugs. I'm not messing with you. Well, there are certain things we need on college game day. So if, if we are going to make any changes, I think we need three things. One, we need a, a, an actual soapbox or, or a high horse, maybe a high horse <laughs> on a soapbox. That when what, I get you started, live on it. That's the thing. When I, <laughs> when I get started on a rant, I can just step off the set and jump on that horse standing on the soapbox and make my argument. The second thing we need is, uh, is an English professor to sit there and at the, each, at the end of each segment or the end of the show, give us all the mistakes, the grammatical errors that we've made, uh, you know, by saying something like very unique when there are no gradations of unique. I say, um, got one more time, my wife will exactly. say Exactly. I do the same head. thing. I do the same. My wife says the same thing to me, English major. And the, 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 maybe the, the, the number one thing of the three things is we need an official that can toss one of us out when we get out of line. And, and LaFonso's got experience getting tossed out. You know, you've been tossed out of games. Uh, I was tossed out of one game. I never got a technical foul in, in a high school game, a college game, or a pro game. I got a technical foul in the lawyer's league and, and where everybody argues, and I was thrown out of a game. I was tossed out of a lawyer's league game. That was my only ejection and my only technical foul as a player was in the lawyer's league, which, which shows, you know, shows how much I learned in law school. There it is. A little preview of college game day. Hopefully, <laughs> from, hopefully from San Diego and then fly right to champions. And who knows, maybe we'll parachute out of one of those planes that's you know, landing on the deck in, in San Diego. On our way to, uh, maybe we could take off from the, from what, from, from the deck of the carrier that's going to have the game and then just fly off into the sunset on our way to the Indianapolis and Champions. I think that would be a very fitting open. Yeah, you'd think the military could give us a ride. I mean, they got enough, they got enough equipment. But, but that, you and I better not be in the same, in the same fighter jet because uh, I might hit the eject button, either mine or yours. <laughs> You're sick. All right, man. Well, I have a great trip to Israel. Uh, we might have to have you a little correspondent from Israel. Oh, I'm doing all that. Uh, and uh, and uh, keep Pearl in line because that ain't happening. That ain't happening either. 